0: Welcome to the Ag Emerge podcast, brought to you by Ag Solutions Network. Your farming challenges are unique, so your practices should be too. We're here to share emerging ideas, build connections, and provoke conversation.
1: Get ready to improve your soil, your crops, your livestock, and your family's livelihood. I'm your producer, Kim Schaes.
0: And I'm your host, Monty Bottons. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for joining us. Today we welcome Dan Kittredge. Dan has been an organic farmer for more than 30 years and the founder and executive director of the Bionutrient Food Association, a nonprofit whose mission is to increase quality in the food supply. Dan has become one of the leading proponents of nutrient density and works to demonstrate the connections between soil health, plant health, and human health through workshops and speaking engagements across the country and globe. Today, he and Monty discuss those opportunities and challenges in all of these areas. So let's jump right in.
0: Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Ag Emerge podcast. I'm blessed to be joined by Dan Kittredge today. Thank you so much for being here, Dan. Thanks for having me. Well, Dan, uh, what I love to do with all of our guests is just dive right in, and and if you would just share your story, a little bit of your your background and and where you where you've come from, and and how you've gotten to where you are today. All right.
2: Uh, well, I grew up on an organic farm uh, here in Massachusetts, um, and uh, my parents, for their day job, ran the local organic farming organization called NOFA for about thirty five years. So, I was actively part of. Not just the lifestyle, but the but the movement, the organizing, the conferences, the you know um, you know certification stuff like that. Um, in my yeah, basically after college in my twenties, managed the farm in the summertime and traveled the world in the winter and did some interesting things. Um, but uh, when I got married and had found no better lifestyle to raise kids than I thought than the than the homestead, um, I tried to make a, make a go of myself and rapidly realized that I couldn't make a living doing it in a significantly large part because my plants were susceptible to insect pressure and disease pressure and things like that which are um, you know different people have different techniques for my thought was if organic was supposed to be better then shouldn't my crops be like the plants in nature that aren't being eaten by <laughs> pests and disease wouldn't that be a it wouldn't be easier to make a living if my plants were healthy. Uh, <laughs> okay? I consider being eaten, eaten alive by a flush-eating fungus a sign of poor health, or being eaten alive by a larvae a sign of poor health. You know, I think that's maybe a, a one of the foundational um, insights and, and humilities I had to have to go th- go forward. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I started going to conferences and um, uh, reading books and attending seminars and in the wintertime and practicing, you know, changing techniques in the summertime and got to a point pretty quickly where I could, um, yeah, where pests and disease were not attacking my crops anymore. My cost of production went down and my economic viability went up and I had, you know, I was able to make a living working part-time and have time for the kids and quality of life. And I thought, boy, if I have 20 years of experience and didn't know any, a lot of these things, maybe other people um, don't know them either, just basically how to work with with life, with microbes, with the whole biological system, Um, how do plants grow, how have plants been able to take care of themselves for 300 million years or whatever, um, before the invention of fertilizer. So um, started giving workshops, courses, turned into an organization, educational nonprofit um, called the Bionutrient Food Association, started in 2010, Um, worked with growers in large, you know, lots of different climate zones and different crop types. Different scales. Um, sure looked like it worked across the board and thought maybe if working more well with nature means your better profitability as a farmer and better shelf life, flavor, aroma, nutritive value, um, soil health. Maybe that if that's true, then maybe that's something we should be trying to get to be happening on a broader scale. And the question was, how do you how do you realistically engage transition? And the thought was using money. Using economic incentive. If the farmer gets paid a premium because their crop's more nutritious and it's also you know, caused the soil to be healthier and things like that, then um, <clears throat> maybe we could we could really accomplish some significant change. And so started in 2016 with this sort of concept of a handheld spectrometer that we can take and flash a light at, at you know, wheat berries or a carrot or a zucchini or, or milk. And um, by reading the light that bounces back, you can See, this is in the 20th percentile of what a carrot could be, or this is the 80th percentile of what a carrot could be, because in actual fact, how food is produced has a lot to do with what's in it. And there's very significant variation in nutritional caliber in food. You know, the USDA label on a bag of carrots says all carrots have this much vitamin D, but, you know, it's not number two plastic. You know, it's not like it's a fairly uniform thing. Actually, food is a very complex thing that's got these hundreds and thousands of different nutrients and compounds at different levels and ratios. And and, um, those variances affect our health. They really have a significant effect. So, So we started, built a meter, built a couple labs to try to calibrate that meter so we could have it give readings that were based on, you know, real data, because right now it looks like there's not a good database anywhere globally that defines that variation in food. And then also worked with growers to document their management practices and fertility programs, cultivars, climate dynamics, so we could connect management practices, soil metrics, soil carbon, soil biological activity, and nutrient variation. Um, So at this point, we've got a a handheld calibrated open source consumer price meter out there around the world. Um, And uh, yeah, (laughs) going forward, (laughs) it's only calibrated to 10 crops right now. And not particularly well on some of them, but step-by-step. Uh, step. Um, so and it's a short short background, but hopefully.
0: Well, we're, we're certainly gonna dive into that variation and the meter and all those kind of things. But I, I do wanna um, uh, talk a little bit about, you know, your own experience when you were farming and you saw these pests and disease and you had yeah. that aha moment of looking at nature, probably maybe the tree line or hedge line or uh, forest or whatever, or natural prairie ground next to where you're farming and realizing, huh, that's not bare and devoid and ate and, and diseased and dead. What's going on, right? Is that kind of that aha moment? And then then you said a conference that you went to, who, who was some of the people that challenged you at that conference? You, you probably remember, I bet.
2: Yeah, well, the actual story of what really made it click in my mind was our, our old farm dog had gotten driven over his rear end by a customer and got his hide ground into the driveway. and He had a cut. And he was sitting out there and there were some flies that had laid eggs and the cut and the maggots had hatched and they were eating the flesh. And I
0: was, you know, I was like, oh my God, just, this is a,
2: a horrible, there's there's
0: nothing more disgusting. I'm, I've seen it with calves and, ugh. Yeah.
2: and so I was going out to
0: get Colorado potato beetles off the potato plants.
2: And I'm like, there's larvae eating my dog alive. And that's a big old, something's really, really wrong. And there's larvae eating my potato plants alive and that's like totally normal. And I was like, just because it's normal, does that make it okay? Is it okay for plants to be eaten alive by larvae? Is that, that's not a sign of health in nature. Um, that was, that was, that was what the aha was, was, it was that visceral. And, um, yeah. Um, and then so anyways, it was Acres USA, it was where, um, <clears throat> was where I, I learned so much. Um, you know, uh, Gary Zimmer, Jerry Bonetti, uh, Dan Scow, um, Arden Anderson, um, Phil Wheeler, um, uh, you know, um, Bruce Taneo, you know, just a whole suite of elders. I mean, just a real, For anybody who doesn't know about Acres USA, I think, you know, they their lineage, everything Charles Walters did there for 40 years or whatever, until he passed, was really impressive um, and really I think integrated the insight from the permaculture community, the conventional ag community, the biodynamic community, the organic community. There was no, you know, they were talking about energy and harmonics and frequencies and structuring water. There was like, it was all bring it on, you know, microbiome. Let's just let everybody who's got something to say, have a space to say, let's try it out. And I found that to be a very, very fruitful um, learning, learning environment and brilliant people, right? Mm
0: -hmm. So you yeah. know there's there's some outstanding resources there, uh, but that is uh, that is a great aha moment and you're right. Why do we just accept that we you know have some pests and some things and don't realize that yeah, you've probably got a you know a sugar content problem you've you've got maybe a um you know imbalance of nutrients, you've got the harmonic uh, resonance thing and <laughs> and uh, uh, natural vibration. <laughs> It's all the so same. Every one of those nutrients. All, that's correct. It's just a, how are we measuring it? Right. So yeah, exactly. um, that's yeah, yeah. when you break down the silos and um, a friend of mine says, get out your tinfoil hat and get ready for this. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that, that really led you on to some things and just describe how did, how did farming change for you then once you kind of worked with nature instead of uh, tried to dominate it? I mean, it was a big relief you said, right?
2: Well, my potato plants got killed by frost instead of by um, potato bugs. My cucumber plants got killed by frost instead of powdery mildew. You know, little stuff like that.
0: Little stuff, <laughs> um, yeah. I actually got a know, <laughs> well,
2: Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, they just, they got much more production and less effort and um, better quality. You know, I mean, the cucumbers, instead of getting pinched at the end after a few weeks, they were staying in perfect shape after three months, you know, like... That's I, unheard of in my experience. I was like, oh my God, I, this is not my third planting of cucumbers. This is my first planting of cucumbers I'm picking here in the end of September and they're
0: still perfect. It was just as stupendous uh, for me, so. Yeah, in conventional production, uh, especially for pickles, you've got like a three-day harvest window and then you're done. And that's, uh, that's interesting to see that continue on. But, well, let me, so that leads right into Dan, uh, nutrient density, right? And, you know, the, the plant health and, and making a, a fruit all the time until you can anymore. Um, nutrient density. What is it? How do you define it? <laughs> I like to say anybody who thinks they have
2: a definition, please come tell me because I'm pretty sure I don't know. Um,
0: <laughs> and you're, you run the organization that's defining it. Come on.
2: <laughs> which is exactly the point is we don't know yet. And so we should stop throwing the word around with such confidence if we are. And say it's a process of learning and understanding and when we've got it figured out it's going to be a collective collective thing and it's a continuum so what can we what can we say about nutrient density um if it doesn't correlate to plant health and flavor and aroma we probably have a wrong definition um um, it's a continuum not a binary so like or you are if you're organic you're either organic or you're not organic or you're whatever you know like my understanding is some, some carrots are really crappy. Some carrots are really amazing. And there's a bunch in the middle. And so our thought is nutrient density is we can say, this carrot's in the 20th percentile, what a carrot could be, this carrot's in the 40th percentile, this carrot's in the 80th percentile. So it's not a, you are nutrient dense, or you're not nutrient dense, it's a, it's a continuum. And so being able to use that meter and get a reading and say, I got three bags of carrots on the shelf, to choose from three different you know, brands or whatever. And one's a 20, one's a 40, one's an 80. That's just data I can make decisions about. But it's not like saying one's nutrient dense and one's not nutrient dense. So I think that's a really big piece of it is that it's a continuum, not a binary,
0: if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And, and I know you're still in the preliminary stages and, and probably will be for some time. But what are some of the things that you're seeing that is driving that 20th, 40, 60? So um, I think some of these include uh, distance, right, uh, freshness, um, and, and, and those kind of things. Or what, what are things that you're seeing, and obviously the production practices, but what are you seeing that correlates that percentile?
2: Yeah, I mean, again, am I speaking formally on the record this is the answer? or like it sure looks like this we're heading in this oh direction. it sure looks like this yeah. we,
0: we we understand that this is yeah not yeah. A, yeah. yeah yeah so i mean now and i want to go back
2: to about nutrient variation and nutrient density and just make a deeper point but i'll answer sure. your question first sure. um sure. it you know if you pick a cucumber and it's an 80 when you pick it um a week later it may be a 70 or 65 but if you pick a cu- cucumber and it's a 20 when you pick it a week later it's going to be a 10 so Um, Sure, time and distance have some effect, you know, shipping and all that kind of stuff. But how about if it's weed or oats? You know, they don't necessarily degrade very fast over time. Um, So, you know, if you pick your blueberries when they're ripe and you freeze them, then most of those things are still in there four months later when you take them out of the freezer versus you pick a, a blueberry and then you ship it for a week and a half and then you get it. So in many cases, actually, what we used to do in the olden days, which was you know, process things when they were ripe, and eat them later, is actually better than eating things fresh. Um, But yeah, primarily, it's the management practices. To a decent degree, there's a cultivar component. So which varieties, different varieties have different inherent capacities to be better or worse, but there's a range within every variety, we found that. Um, But, you know, organic matter, biological health, um, the more well-functioning the microbiome is, the the More organic matter you've got. It's all those basic things. How are you going to go about doing that? Are you doing shallow till, no till? Are you doing cover crops? You know, you're doing a burn down. I mean, there's there's things that you do that are beneficial, things that are do that are detrimental, and you minimize the detrimental things and maximize the beneficial things. Um, so it's not any one thing per se. It's really about the overall function of life. And it sure looks like that complexity of compounds that we're calling a high level of nutrient density only happens when you've got life functioning to a high degree. It needs air to drink, it needs water to breathe, it needs food to eat, um, it needs to be there. So um, yeah, I, I think it's all sort of common sense, but there's no no obvious silver bullet. It's really about just good practices will get you from a 60 to an 80. And you know, if most people are growing twenties, then You should be able to get a premium for your 60 and a bigger premium for your 80. That's our thought. Um, And if consumers are out there picking stuff off the shelf, taking all the 80s off the shelf and the the 40s and 20s are sitting there, then maybe that buyer is going to focus on getting 80s next time (laughs) (laughs) instead of getting them all. So, you know, just basic self-interest, basic economic self-interest, transparency, uh, but to what we have defined nutrient density, or just to get into the numbers and the nutrients and things like that, I'll say, you know, for the last five years or so, we've been doing this work with um, having growers record all the management practices, fertility program, cultivar, planting date, and then when they harvest the crop, we haven't pull the soil two depths of soil. We they send the crop and the soil in, um, and we have been looking at about fifteen different elements and a couple compounds. So. Uh, like calcium and potassium and sulfur and zinc and um, uh, polyphenols and antioxidants, those kinds of things. Um, and we found the variations depending on the crop, you know, maybe carrots and calcium is three to one. So one carrot has as much calcium as three carrots. You know, that's the that's the range we found. maybe in iron and, and spinach, it's 18 to one. So one leaf of spinach here has as much iron as those 18 of the spinach. Um, and then when it's polyphenols or antioxidants, Maybe it's 25 to 1 or 50 to 1 um, so or more. Um, so based on different elements, like you see a big range. And then so we're able to say, OK, this carrot, we're going to look at these, these eight things, and ones at the 60th percentile, ones at the 50th percentile, ones in the 40th percentile, ones at the 80th percentile. The average is out here about 60 or whatever, um, because it's not just one element. Um, so that's what we're able to do right now, is to say, based on these eight things, we call it BQI, this carrot to the sixty, this carrot to the forty, but that's not really nutrient density because it's just looking at these eight things. And life is much more complex. So, what we're doing now with beef, and we're hoping to do it in the future with more crops, is like seven hundred and fifty compounds. So, way more families of compounds. You know, enzymes, vitamins, proteins, amino acids, lipids, phenols, terpenoids, elements. Like, let's get a really good spectrum of different nutrients in there and then see if we can find patterns and say when these families of pound pounds are in these ratios that's good when they're in these ratios that's bad and be able to say this is a good steak this is a bad steak we want to be able to get to that point of being able to say this is good this is bad this is in the middle and when we're there I think we'll be able to say we know what nutrient density is um, but right now we're not there yet
0: we're but we are in the process in the process so this is a a monster undertaking, and I, and I bet it's. I bet you've gotten to where you think it's. You've discovered it's even larger than maybe what you first thought when you when you started. Is that a fair uh, assumption?
2: I think I knew it was pretty big.
0: Um,
2: yeah, and I think we're actually, you know, I mean, we're starting to get there too. Awesome. This is exciting. Um, it is, you know, we've, everything we've done, we're a nonprofit educational organization. We're not a company. And so everything we've been doing is on donation money, not on investment money, um, because we want this information to be in the commons. We don't want to belong to a company and then have it get, you know, uh, whatever your polite word is for town sideways or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So our thought is if we do it all, all the commons, it's all open. Nobody can hide it. And we can come together around calibrating meters and, and market structure and things like that. So um, yeah, no, it's it's a big project. And you know, it's I think one whose time is is coming or or come. I think looking at the environment, looking at the climate, looking at human health, looking at cultural function, you know, a lot of things are starting to get pretty swirly. So <laughs> people are ready for like something systemic, like, okay. So if I just buy better food for myself and my family then we will be healthier and the environment might be in better shape, too. OK, I can do that. Um, and if we do it together, we can really start to turn things around pretty fast. It sure looks like.
1: We're taking a short break to share that the AgEmerge Emerge podcast is brought to you by the team at Ag Solutions Network. Rooted in innovation, ASN is committed to leaving the land better than we found it not simply maintaining it. We're here to help you navigate the balancing act of productivity and building a legacy. From practices to products, ASN is more than a new jug. It's a new way of thinking. So don't be afraid to be different. Be afraid to be the same. Contact Ag Solutions Network today at asn.farm. And now back to our show. Okay, let let's jump
0: right in there. What you said about the environment might be better. So I wanted to, uh, y- you know, you're doing the ground truthing essentially phase, right, with the two yeah. layer soil samples and then sampling the food, and you know, so that's truth to, to probably calibrate your body. sensor, right? But that that's reality. So you're seeing what are what are some of the things that you're consistently seeing uh, contribute to making an 80th or a 90th percentile. Uh, did I say that right? That's the upper upper ten yeah. percent, uh, you know. Yes, exactly. Uh, top ten percent food. Uh, what are the practices that they're doing? So I imagine varieties are important. So having maybe older or more heritage varieties that are not yeah. as yield intense, because essentially mm-hmm. when you get big yield, don't you just dilute the the goodies for? Not necessarily. Uh, okay. I mean, okay. No, you can. You, yeah, you can have your cake and eat it too. Okay. You, you can have
2: you can have good yields of healthy plants. They don't just have to be good yields and not healthy plants. In okay. fact, in my experience, you know, well, yeah, depending on the environmental conditions, you can push the envelope here, push the envelope there. But I don't think it has to be one or the other. But it is important that if you've got varieties that have been bred to function on a uh, a chemistry, you know, program, you're not going to be able to get those nutrients because it's the biology that brings nutrients in, not the chemistry. Mm-hmm. so you know you want to have varieties that are have been selected to work well with soil life which in many cases is those heirloom you know kind of varieties but it's not sure. that you couldn't hybridize it or something um, um but yeah well i mean i think we had some really compelling data with oats and wheat we did a bunch of samples in 2020 with oats and wheat um i don't remember if it was 70 farms or 60 farms across, I think it was 15 different states. And we had a bunch in Europe too, so two countries, two two continents. Um, And we have this really nice graph where it's like no-till, shallow till, deep till. More organic matter, less organic matter, less organic matter. More nutrients, less nutrients, less nutrients. So like really simple, how much did you disturb the soil? What's the organic matter level? What's the nutrient level? Like the less you disturb it, The more organic matter is there, the more nutrients are there. And that was across all kinds of different varieties, right? So we saw that across. didn't matter what the variety was. That was like a real simple one. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's all about the management details. And the more you can do that regenerative thing and keep the life functioning well, um,
0: the more things are going to look better. So it's not this big convoluted thing. It's just, it's pretty simple, right? The higher the organic matter is, which means you've had a history of less tillage and or a history of, you know, diverse crops um, and, and the less that you till, uh, those are kind of the two main things that you're contributing to. Uh, that I mean, that's an example one, of one simple one.
2: I don't, I don't want to say
0: it's just this or just that. Oh, well, no, I, I understand that. But I mean, that, that's just pretty straightforward on on those two for sure. Anything else stand out in that study of correlations? Well, that was
2: oats and wheat. I'm pretty sure a lot of those people were cover cropping as well, so it wasn't yep. like it was a you know anhydrous and burn down no till. It was a it was a regenerative no till, um, which is a really really important point. It's I mean we haven't even really properly processed all of our data yet. Uh, we've got 25 different crops, hundreds of different farms you know, with all these different metrics. And, and so, you know, do we have enough varieties of, of, of this variety of carrot to overlay different soil types to be able to say it's, I mean, it's a big, it's a big puzzle. We've been collecting data really well. We haven't been digesting it because we just haven't had the time and money. Um, we want to keep the process going. So we have like, we can say, you know, these are the variations, but, but really I think teasing out the causal factors is something that hasn't really been done yet. I mean, so the degree we've done it; these are the things we've got. But it's um, if you've got a small vegetable operation that's you know mulching and, and composting and things like that, <clears throat> they can have high organic matter, um, and that's not necessarily going to correlate with higher nutrient levels because of the other environmental conditions. Maybe not keeping the soil moist in a drought. Well, there's no water; all bets are off. Microbes aren't functioning. Um, so. Um,
0: yeah, so I don't want to get too uh, too in the weeds, but I think I've I don't know. I and I, w- I wanted to go toward those weeds because I think here here's the here here's the ultimate view of why this the sensor and the technology are working on is so so important, right? Organic is essentially a input or practice related restriction. Mm-hmm. Yep, and everything that we've done is revolved around how we grow the animal. So I mean. Same way, let's say chickens. Okay, so you got free range. Okay, it means there's a door that they can walk outside, but they won't. Okay, they're you know uh, cage free. Well, yeah, they're still still in a barn, but they are not cage. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's all everything we've done is practice based definitions, right? But that means nothing to the outcome, right? Or very little in most cases. Very little. Yes. Correct. Very. There might be some, but thank you. There, there is very little. So, what I think is amazing about what you're doing is like, okay, yes, we know you need to do these good soil health regenerative based practices in order to have something that's good, but I'm going to actually give you the report card of how good you did, right? And I'm going to give that report card to the voter, and and the voter is the buyer, and if You've yeah. got a truckload of carrots that's sitting in the, every store in a distribution center because there's no sell through. All of a sudden, yeah. you better figure out how to grow carrots a little better because you've got a distributor, a wholesaler, broker that are going to be hollering on what do I do with this truckload of carrots that I can't move? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it, it's across the board. It's
2: it's your milk. It's your eggs. It's your chicken. it's It's everything is... Most of these crops are grown in a way that is that chemical monoculture intense destructive, you know, not healthy kind of way and and, and a lot of the organic stuff is grown that way right so. um, yeah no it's. uh, yeah I mean it's it's exciting and it's maybe some farmers feel a little bit threatened, but you know anybody who's doing a few good things is likely getting results that are a lot better than most people. So I, that's all I can say is, you know, when the report card starts to come out, if you've got a 40, well, that's 40 out of 100, but if 60% of the supply chain is between 20 and 30, then you're on the top of the curve, right? So that's the thing is like a 40, yeah, you're, you're that's what you're at, you're at a 40, but you're also in the top 20th percentile of everybody out there.
0: So that's, um, yeah. <clears throat> But you made a really good point there about a lot of organic farmers, the so large organic farmers are simply conventional with organic inputs. There's no the nutrient any- levels are low, right? And the nutrient levels are low. And yeah. I, I contend that the way that we're growing crops in a conventional basis, but with very limited inputs and none of the nasty chemistries and, and those kind of things, we're likely producing a better crop. And I'd love to run it through the system C, your system yeah. than what maybe an organic or you know, someone else is, and I think that we get get away from these silos, and we get to looking at the result, right? And uh, yeah, a, I've had this, I had
2: this like, call in a couple of weeks ago from I think he was in Oregon, or maybe it was, I think it was Oregon, and he's like, I got twenty five thousand bushels of wheat, and it was sixty nine point five you know pound test weight. And I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> that's pretty good, isn't it? He's like, yeah, that's that's pretty good. He's like. I want to get a premium for it. I want to know what's in it. And I'm like, great, send it over. So this is this other guy who's you know, running a, a, um, you know, a, a grain mill in, in I think Saskatchewan. He's like, I think we're doing some pretty good, pretty good work here. We got our own, we can, we can you know separate and silo. And I'm like, we want to know what's in our stuff and see if we can get premiums. Like send it over. That's what the lab's for, is for people that are doing a better job and maybe want to see where they're at and maybe want to tell other people where they're at if they like it and then they can get a premium for it. We can do that for people right now. Oh, um so um not with the meter just like it's a you know 150 dollars if it's just a crop or 200 if you want to get the soil in it with it also um but we've got a big enough data set that we can say you are you are here in the continuum and then you can do whatever you want with that information um but it's looking, looking for better quality
0: what what crops are you doing that with now dan
2: it's on our website we've got i think 25 or 30 that we've got in this in the Um, system right now. Um, For people that are doing grain, it's only oats and wheat that we've got large supplies of, but we're um, doing corn. I think we're going to be doing that quite soon. Um, I've been talking to people about, uh, I think it's a Milo or I can't, there's a couple other ones too, but um, yeah, oats and wheat for sure. Uh, Corn's coming, coming along. It's just a question of, you know, if you've only got 10 samples in the data set, then, it's not a big enough one to say much, but if you got 250, then we can pretty we can say some things.
0: Um, so, yeah, no, that's amazing, and I think uh, we'll, lots of fruits and vegetables. Though we're yeah. going to reach out to our customers and uh, that are using our biologically based system, and yeah. uh, if we can get some samples into you, because I'd really like to see what's going on there, and uh, yeah. that, that'd be yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's the BioNutrient
2: org is the website. Um, we have the Bionutrient.org, which is sort of like the education and communication and conferences and courses and chapters and stuff like that. But then the science, all the science
0: stuff is BionutrientInstitute.org. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, we find out we're, we've got this better food and we're we're able to eat it and we improved it. Does this really matter? Why is this important? I mean, aren't the skeptics going to say, ah, you're just you're chasing your tail. It's This is silly. What we're doing is fine.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't try to convince people. I think enough people are convinced by life, you know, you know, if you eat a certain kind of food for long enough, how you start to feel, you know, maybe you've got kids or grandkids or, you know, a spouse that's not really doing that well. Um, and at that point doesn't, it's no longer philosophical. It's visceral. Like you want to be healthy. You don't want to be sick. You want your kids to be healthy and you've tried enough different food in your life to see. And so I'm not saying, I'm not, yeah, I, we're just gonna try to create a structure where people can see and be as honest as we can be. And
0: if it works, it'll spread. <laughs> I just, I love that answer because it's, uh, it's uh, completely a democ- democratization of data, right? You're, you're just making it available. And if people wanna choose to participate and, and change their lives as a result of it, we have it here for you. If you think we're full of bunk, move on. So- yeah, not, 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 not trying to sell you on anything. Um, <laughs> so that's but, fantastic. But to you personally, why is this important?
2: Um,
0: to me personally, because I
2: think that, um, you know, how we engage with nature, with the land is, you know, affects a lot of our life and um, the environment around us, the imbalances in the environment, the toxins in the environment, depending on where you go in the Midwest, you can't get a drink of fresh water, a clean water, right? It's just not an option. You can't go swimming in the ponds, you know, just a quality of life perspective. That's not really what it's about, but just like understand it's all connected. I think that when we eat food that doesn't have what our bodies need to function well, we start functioning less well, and if you do that for a couple of generations, you start to have people that don't that are. It's not just physically not functioning well; it's spiritually, it's emotionally, it's you know, culturally. They don't have that much energy. They don't have that much creativity. They don't have that that capacity to do and be. And so, I look at you know, I guess this started when I was in my twenties, and I was sort of, you know, angry or judgmental or you know, whatever, whatever. Looking at the this is bad, and that's bad, and that's wrong, and You know, you look at the economic system, you look at the environment, you look at the educational system, you look at the political system, you look at the media system. We've got a lot of systems that are not healthy and you want to fight one or you want to fight another one. um, You can do that. But I think the foundation for me is that all those systems are made out of people. There's people that, that are in there and to the degree that they're functioning at a higher level, those systems are going to function at a higher level, and the degree they're functioning at a lower level, the systems are going to function at a lower level. So, my thought is, if we can make food better across the board for everybody globally, not just the U.S., like overall nutrient levels of food are higher, then people's level of coherence is going to be higher. Their their health, their vitality, their spiritual attunement, their honor, their whatever all those things are, um, they're going to be more well-functioning people. And that will, is a way to systemically address a lot of the cultural imbalances that we've got. Um, I think, yeah, that's why it's important to me, is I want to create a reality where people are actually in a better state to be better actors in the world. Um, so,
0: yeah. And all of that starts by choosing the right food to put in your body. And, you want, and, what you eat. And, and you want only, to eat and not you have that compounding effect for you but you're also having that cascading effect for everything that created that food for you yeah. so uh, and and it's it's not an understatement that <laughs> this nutrient density that we that we're pursuing yeah is directly in line with outstanding stewardship of all of the resources yeah. we have hundred percent. Yeah. This is why this is important farmers. I I know some of you have given me some grief about why are you chasing this money? This is, give me, you know, what, what's the purpose of all this? You know, we, we just want to know how to grow crops. You know, we we just want to be able to make more money, but at, at the end of the day, we have to make a product that is outstanding because we're feeding people and people are counting on us to give them the fuel that they need to live a great balanced life. And- If you're, you're a farmer that, that just that. wants to make money,
2: yeah, I mean, that's not, it is not don't, 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 don't bother talking to people that just wanna make money. If they're people that wanna feed people, if they're people that actually have some pride in the food they're producing, and, and and that, I mean, then you can talk to people. If they actually care about the land that they, that they steward and they don't want it to be toxic, they want, they want, you know, animals running around in the, in the hedgerows. Um, if, if you care about your land, if you care about what you're producing, then we can talk to you. If you just want to make money, don't even, don't even bother talking to people that just want to make money, I would say. And,
0: um, it's all that, that, for, yeah. and we have to change that focus, right? Because the conventional-minded world has caused us to be the profit, profit, profit at, at exclusion of, you know, don't worry about the rest. If we do some other stuff, great. I think if we realign that to where we're doing what's best, uh, and it happens to be profitable. Yep.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and it may not That's be the ultimate profitability. Yeah. But it is profitable. <laughs> and we've got a lot of guys that are showing
2: that, that their actual profit per acre is higher, even in some cases when their yields per acre are lower because their cost of production is lower and their resilience in times of drought or flood is higher. Um, we've got this perverse system going on with the, you know, with the subsidies and stuff like that so you can make a living without growing a crop which is i mean you got a problem with welfare let's let's talk about subsidies kids i mean you got a problem with that let's let's have an honest conversation i think a lot of farmers are are, are you know they don't they know the truth about that
0: but yeah, um we, we complain about welfare and and we line up at the usda office to take the handouts so yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, you're, you're getting a lot more dollars than that
2: <laughs> that one mother is. <laughs> that's
0: true. That's true. Yeah. So I think um, it's it's a mindset thing, right? It, it's a mindset of how you how you approach it and, and how you think about um, stewardship. And I, I think that's interesting. So okay, let's I would just say, go ahead.
2: I'm gonna, I, I think there's not many farmers out there who don't care about their land. And I think there's a, not many farmers out there who don't care about the people that are eating their food and really want in their heart to be doing good for both.
0: Um, so, yeah. Correct. I just think maybe we don't have a full awareness and appreciation of how strong that connection is yep. between our practices and the health of people. Yeah. You know, that's one thing I'd like to emphasize. So, um, the sensor. We started this, you said, I believe, in 2017. Yeah. Um, Tell us about that. What is it? How How is it coming along? And, and obviously there's limitations and they, those <laughs> things always get better as, as time goes on. Yeah. Talk to us about this and, and the, the whole genesis and the, and the iterations you've done of this so far. Yeah.
2: Well, um, you know, when we had this idea about building a meter and, you know, defining nutrient density and connecting it to management practices and having this all be one big open framework of, of sharing and, you know, you own your data so no one knows who you are, but you can see everybody else's data in, you know, anonymized in context. So you can see who did better and what they did and that whole thing. We're like, you know, we're an educational organization. We're not a tech company. We don't do software. We don't do hardware. We don't, we don't, we don't know how to. And So we went out and found, you know, some people who were aligned philosophically but had those skills. Um, And so, our side is the, is that's now a company that we found they were they were working at Michigan State. Um, they had built this open source handheld sensor. It was for photosynthesis assessment for research um, in field, and we got some money and said, "Hey, would you you know be interested in converting this into a nutrient sensor?" And they said, "Great." And so by the end of 2017, we had built that first you know first one first. I think we had two. Um, like is this possible yes does it work yeah it seems to work um, and then we shipped them out I don't know a couple hundred of them people won one we're like hey it's not calibrated um, it, it can't give you a reading as far as a number it'll give you like a boop, boop, boop on a graph but people are like hey I want one anyways so we made a couple hundred of those and put them out there um, and 2018 we built a lab and started testing crops we tested carrots and spinach and we had you know I don't know a thousand samples or something from grocery stores and farms and farmers markets and um, <clears throat> started building a data set to calibrate the meter with. So basically every time a carrot came in or of spinach came in, we flashed a light at it in the lab with the meter, and then we put it through the lab. So we got the, we got the, the reading from the meter, and then we've got the calcium level, zinc level, phosphorus level, polyphenol level, and then you can do AI and algorithms and stuff with that. So 2019, we did six crops. We had a second lab at Chico State in California. We did six crops, 2020, out another lab in France and got up to 20, 21, 25 crops, something like that. Um, Sorry, I mean we're working with growers. So uh, last year, 2021, we released a second generation of the meter, which basically um, has like a little calibration thing, so you can set it to zero. And we have enough data from all the samples we've done through the lab that's got it'll give you a reading on 10 different crops: so oak berries, wheat berries, zucchini, you know, Swiss chard, uh, carrots, lettuce, um, stuff like that, mustard greens, I think. Um, so if you, right now, if you take one, you flush a light at, at, a, at a leaf of um, Swiss chard, you'll get a reading back. It'll tell you this, this chart is here with polyphenols, here with BQI. If you flush a light at some wheat berries, same thing. So uh, we've got a couple hundred of those out around the world right now. The second generation calibrated ones. I'm not sure if it's 250 or whatever it is. I think we're getting another hundred boards in right now. Um, so we'll be able to, we've been backordered. We've never marketed this thing. We've, we've never, we're like, hey, it doesn't work very well. It's kind of janky. It takes 15 touches of the screen to get a reading because it's really, really not there yet. And it was like, I want one. So we've been backordered forever, but we haven't been trying to manufacture them. We've been trying to like get it to a point where it actually works, you know, in some meaningful way. And so that's where we're at right now is like, okay, it works in some meaningful way. Could we make it less janky? Could we make 1,000 or 10,000 of them instead of 100 or 200? Um, And could we maybe have it calibrated for 20 crops instead of our 10 crops? Um, And could we have a software function where if you've got 10 people in a city that each go to a different grocery store and when they go once a week, they flash a light at everything in that grocery store, that gets automatically put into into the web where everybody from that city can see in that week where what was. So that's all like totally plausible next year. Um, That's what we're looking at is next year, being able to do that, have it be in thousands, maybe have it be maybe more than 10 crops, have the software you know, app user interface function where it doesn't take many people having one to have a lot of people have access to the data from it. Um, So, but this is all still like, this is not nutrient density. This is just nutrient variation. This is still like, you know, we're not telling you it's better. we're telling you it has higher
0: levels of these things. Um, so yeah so if you get it, I, I love the social sharing aspect of that. that is powerful because then you've got a you know basically a, a data set that's changing all the time and you can constantly yep. sample that that that's powerful the supply chain's changing all the time. Yeah, absolutely because we're we're switching a, a field to field varies and then um, the other thing that was interesting out of there, I just wonder, I mean the leafy vegetables, I can, I can see how that could sense that, pretty easy. A yeah. carrot, sensing a carrot, that has to be tough. And sensing a wheat berry, you know, because you can't see the inside of a wheat berry. You know, yeah. how, how is the sensor pulling that off? I mean, that, that's pretty amazing.
2: Well, the data we have from the lab is the data from the outside of the wheat berry. Because that's what we did when we brought the wheat into the, into the lab was we flash flooded the outside and then we processed it and got the numbers. Uh, so it's just God. the algorithm. It's an algorithm from what the surface reflectance is to what the data from the lab is. Some our, our best data actually is on wheat berries and oat berries. It's some of the best data we've got, like the strongest calibrations. And you just put like 10 of them in this little tray and maybe 20 or 30 and yeah, flash a light and boom. Um, it's yeah. <laughs> With the wow. carrot, it's hard because the sensors, so like there's a couple of things, like round things, like a carrot, you have to cut it. So, you can't just go to the grocery store right now, at least with the calibration. If we have the next generation has like a little, like an elephant trunk that can come out around the carrot, then maybe we don't need to cut it. Um, there's tons of logistics. We're doing fruits, roots, leaves, grains, you know, like they all have different shapes and sizes and dynamics. And um, yeah, now we're starting to do meat, but that's on the nutrient density side, not on the nutrient variation side. It's a big project. And, and oh. anybody that wants to support it, you know, it's all charitable. It's all donations based and we go as fast as we have money. Um, So let's,
0: I want to talk about that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and for people that want to support it. Absolutely. That's fan. That's a fantastic opportunity, but I think a good way, a good way for farmers and our audience members to know um, the interest level in this is uh, talk about the current funding you have for your organization. I mean, is it, I mean, this isn't just a, you know, an idea right this is uh you're a good size organization and 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 there's a lot of people interested in this
2: we've been doing about a million a year for a few years now i mean plus or minus you know over under you know i think um but i think our budget for next year is like five and a half um you know we i think we've gotten far enough now we've been trying to get the work done you know don't talk about it too much until you got something to talk about Um, and so I think, you know, we've been letting word of mouth spread it, but we haven't really been saying like, okay, we got, we're ready to go out publicly now. And so we're at this point where we've got enough done, um, that we know what needs to be done next. And there's no reason doing it over three years when we can do it over one year. Um, so yeah, that's the ambition for this next year. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, pulling in a million plus a year in charitable donations is a hassle
0: in and of itself so um right but i mean it, it speaks to the fact that people are interested in this that's my yeah. point and, yeah. and i think it's it's real yeah. so uh hopefully you can have a subscription model or some sort of way that uh, people can support you through the app that you're using because yeah. there's value in that and and we'll yeah. see how that happens but talk to i mean there's a lot of other things we could, we could visit about and and our our time is is coming close to an end here but what are what are some other things that um you'd like to visit about today while we we still have an opportunity? I don't know,
2: we covered a bunch. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I generally like to have people who are listening ask questions, but that's not a possibility in this format. Um,
0: Yeah, I can certainly reach out to you and connect to you uh, via the website and and, and those kind of things. Um, But you know, I I think consider consider donating, uh, considering uh, following what you're up to, and, and getting getting the, these devices as they become available, and, and and doing the right practices so that you're you're in that top ten percent, and and your food is flying off the shelf, and yeah. this is a great way then that you'll get rewarded for it, right? Yeah, I mean that's the whole idea. I, I guess I mean just a couple of things I could say.
2: Just I took a second to think about it there. I mean, one is that we have our annual conference and anybody who's interested in this whole deeper conversation and process, it's an amazing community um, to invite the broader community into this conversation about what is nutrient density because you know, there's not really a lot of other groups out there doing it, right? There's not a lot of other groups out there sort of actively working on this conversation. We're kind of like the only ones out there, seriously. And that's not a good place to be, right? You want to have a a a, a community coming together around this, different researchers, different organizations, different people actively engaged in this process of figuring out what nutrient density is. Um, so that's going to be one of our big push, pushes in the next you know, six, eight months is trying to hit as many conferences as possible and, and open up this conversation and say, here's where we're at, here's what we've got. What do you need? What would be priority for you? What do you think we should do, um, et cetera? So um, yeah. I mean, it's it's a nice it's a nice moment where we've got buzz and there's excitement and interest, and it's a little bit um, you know we don't know what it is yet, so it's not like it's 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 codified and it's you know ossified and stuff like that. It's like we have this moment where we can really come together around to this definition, and I think the more people who are engaged in the process, the more ownership there is, um, the broader base it is, the stronger it'll be.
0: Um, so. Yeah. No, that's that's excellent. And you know, the thing I love about this is that it really hits all three things we're about on on this um form of communication with the Ag Emerge Podcast is first off, it's an ag technology, right? Where it's a technology that's that's telling us and quantifying what we're doing. It's in the regenerative space. It's you know, it's doing if you do better farm more regeneratively, it's gonna it's gonna pay. And and the other thing is is that it directly impacts farmers. So I, I mean this is um uh, an amazing Amazing thing, and I, I wish you the best as you continue to um, explore and learn and iterate. There'll be Thank multiple iterations, and uh, you know someday I think our sensors on our phones are probably going to be adequate enough that uh, we can have it built in to the that's, phone itself.
2: So. That's exactly the objective. My 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 thought is let Apple put a sensor in their phone, let Samsung put one of theirs, let you know Google put one in theirs, and let them all be calibrated to this definition of quality. Yeah. Let's let's I mean our job is not to build meters. We're an educational organization. We're doing it right now because somebody has to show that people are interested in it and build the ecosystem around it. But then once we build the ecosystem around it, there's going to be competition in the space. Great. Let everybody build a meter, but just let them all be calibrated to this collective definition of what nutrient density is. Um so But when
0: when you've got this all figured out in the next year, right? What's next?
2: I haven't answered that question. Uh, I do consider this to just to be my first, my first half of my career, but I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting old enough that I'd like better, better better hurry up and get it over with. Um, no, I think, I think the I think the real end game is is us um, remembering that our own bodies are actually the most sophisticated sensors we're ever going to have. It's they're really profound and um, you know, you shouldn't need a meter, right? You shouldn't need a meter. And it's about enjoying life and, and having your life be full and rich and, and, and good. And, you know, I think, I think the physical food you eat is one thing that certainly affects you, but the conversations, the relationships, the, the media, you know, the community, uh, your thoughts, all these really affect our our overall well being and our experience of life. So, um, yeah, there's something there that I think is important that I'd love to get to once we have food better for everyone. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I'm a farmer. I grew up on the land. I think people belong in nature. I think we don't belong in boxes doing jobs in s- urban environments. I, I really so, don't think people belong there, and I don't think we're going to be healthy or, or or succeed. I think we need to figure out how to get back into you know communities, towns, you know, property. I think there's something really important there, um, but yeah, one thing at a time.
0: Very well said. I I appreciate that. I appreciate all your leadership on on pushing and and in really innovating in an area that no one else is and and looking at a very hard, very complex issue that um, you know nobody really want. There's no a lot a lot of people want the fi- financially don't want the answer to this. So I mean, <laughs> you're you're kind of you're swimming upstream and. Uh thank you for for all that you're doing to to make this possible. So I really appreciate it. We'll uh, we'll stay in touch and and if you ever yeah. find yourself in the Chicago area or uh, Iowa area, um please stop by. You're you're always welcome. Right. Thank you so much Dan. You have a wonderful day. Thank you very much. Yeah.
1: What a great conversation. It's exciting to continue learning and understanding the complexity of food and the connections between soil health, plant health, and human health. There's certainly many more questions to answer and explore. And have you got your own follow-up question for a podcast guest? Well, click on the link in the podcast email to fill out the question form. And as always, if you'd like to learn more about what we're doing to help growers implement soil health, check out our website at asn.farm. And there you can click on links to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. There's a lot of great things happening and always something to learn. Thanks for listening.